0: Yeah, I better, I better be at least better than Calcone.
1: You
0: know, <laughs> All right, everyone. Welcome back to WNP
1: Podcast. I'm Kay Wynn, my double play partner up in the left, or maybe the right-hand corner, Big Ben. We have a very, very special guest from the Bay Area. The Bay Area sports guy, a.k.a. Steve Berman, a.k.a. the beat writer for the Oakland A's. Today on the show, we're going to talk about the AL West, some of the A's recent trade acquisitions, the Big mats, the two Big mats, Matt Olson, Matt Chapman. So before we get into it, just want to give a shout out to our primary sponsor, 88 Acres, healthy nutritional seed bars, butters, and salad dressings. You can buy 88 Acres at Target, Whole Foods, Sprouts, and Kroger's. Check out 88acres.com, at, at, at 80acres on Instagram,
2: 88 Acres, just good nutrition. All right, let's get into it. Steve, thanks again for joining WST Podcast here on NoFilter.net. Before we start, we always like to understand the origin of any nickname. So you are the Bay Area sports guy. My first question as you go into bars or social settings, do you introduce yourself as Steve or the Bay Area sports guy? Uh,
0: wait, do we do that anymore? Do we go in a social setting? <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember actually having that sort of uh, situation happen. Uh, I, maybe it did some previous life. Uh, definitely Steve. Uh, the site uh, I used to run bayareasportsguy.com. It was originally a present from my girlfriend at the time. And when she gave it to me, she, na- she had bought the domain and named it the sports guy and back then you might be familiar with bill simmons who used to go by the sports guy on espn and especially at that time so this is like late 2000s and i was like this is really i appreciate it i know you know i know i wanted to write about stuff i wanted to write about instead of you know freelancing local sports you know covering like high school football and stuff like that so this is going to be a great outlet for me and But I can't be the sports guy because everyone's going to be like, you're not Bill Simmons. What the hell are you trying to do? So, (laughs) uh, you know, because she got all these URLs, we ended up going with Barry, a sports guy. And so that's what stuck.
2: I love it. And uh, did you ever do a write up on K-Win? He's the self-proclaimed star when it comes to the Danville Little League. Did you ever run across him and scouting any collegiate prospects?
0: It depends. uh, When were you playing Little League? Because I used to actually have a... (laughs) column in the Danville Times which was a weekly insert in the in the San Ramon Valley Times back in the day they when they when the Barrier News Group had buyouts in 2008 and they packed half their workforce and they got rid of all those weekly inserts but so that's when I realized I needed to move to online instead of becoming a newspaper writer but before that I had a weekly column where like parents would send me little league scores and I would put in like <laughs> Who went two for four with the homer and all that kind of stuff so when were you in danville little league
1: you'd have to go way way back to the archives black and white uh mitch Stevens was a writer i you'd have to go to the 80s <laughs> uh, oh, <all> right. <laughs> big ben's just trying to mess with you deep deep okay, just like been- microfiche archives in the local library they may I was going to no, say,
0: no. and also your name isn't Tyler or Austin, which is pretty much like the name <laughs> of 80% of the kids in Danville when I was doing those Little League box scores. So, yeah, I mean, Kyle, is, I, I guess it's a pretty standard name too, but yeah, every kid was either Austin, Tyler, or Madison, I
2: remember. Okay. Popular name. He, I, Kyle actually proclaimed that he led the league in war. His, uh, <laughs> he, <laughs> they his, didn't even keep war back year. then. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh,
0: little League war for sure, yeah.
2: No, Now, Steve, you're the Bay Area sports guy, but I, I do want to set the plate. I'm a big Mariners fan, and I think we, we want to talk predominantly or first about the uh, AL West as a whole. You probably get to see teams, they play each other some 19, 16, some odd times a year. My first question is, is it still the best division in baseball?
0: Uh, AL West? No, yeah. I would definitely not. I would say the NLS is, even with the bottom two teams, just to have the Giants, Dodgers, and Padres, that's just, that's just too stacked right now. And the AL East is actually pretty competitive, too, other than Baltimore. I mean, they have you know the Yankees and the Blue Jays are kind of coming up on the Red Sox. The Rays are up there, and they're always going to the playoffs. So I would say the Mariners are definitely, the future is bright for them. But the Angels still have no pitching, and I, the Rangers are god-awful. I watched them for three games this last weekend, and they got gutted by the trade deadline. So I, I think in future years, that trio of the A's, uh, Mariners, and Astros is going to be pretty tight. Maybe the Angels figure it out one of these years. They drafted, like, what, 20 pitchers in their last draft? But yeah, I, I think right now it's a it's a decent division. Like, it's better than the two central divisions, but I wouldn't say it's the best.
1: So if you look at the Astros... The self-proclaimed cheaters. That's what Big Ben and I call them. Uh, They lost Springer, who came up through the system, was like their spark club on offense. He signed with Toronto. They're not missing a beat. They're playing really well. What have you noticed about the Astros this year?
0: The Astros have just been stacked for a long time. Springer, I think, would make them even a little bit better, and maybe they they wouldn't have a two-game lead. They might have like a five or six or seven-game lead on the A's right now. So, yeah, I, I think that they had a lot of nice young pitching. They really fortified their bullpen at the deadline, as any Mariners fan knows all too well. And I think that they're just a team that with Dusty kind of keeps – is the perfect manager for them dealing with the booing all the time. He's been a little bit of a – I mean, I love Dusty, but he's been a little bit of a baby about it saying that, yeah. it's you know, it's an, enough is enough. It's like, dude, there were no fans in the stadium last year. Like, you just have to wear it, you know, for pretty much the entire time that you're the manager of this team. But – They're definitely very confident. You saw that when the A's played them in the ALDS last year. The A's won the division. They came off a really impressive, I thought, series. It was a tight series against the White Sox, who you knew were going to be awesome again this year. And then the Astros just took it to them and seemed like they were the team that knew exactly how to play playoff baseball. And the A's were still in that sort of no man's land of, you know, good enough during the regular season. And then the playoffs come and not quite so good.
2: Yeah, and Key's kind of seen a slight resurgence there with the team. um yep. Ten wins on the season. You already mentioned the Rangers have just kind of been lost. I'm of the same opinion. Unless Jerry Jones goes out and buys them, they're just going to be second fiddle to every team in Texas, darn near. Especially even yeah. the Texans this year. Let me let's talk about the Mariners a little bit. You you mm-hmm. said that they would be that trio, and I think everyone in the Pac Northwest has been yearning the last 20 years to just sniff the playoffs see the playoffs hear the playoffs we were 10 games over 500 at the trade deadline we made the move for graveman shipped him across dugouts and then which was kind of a head scratcher but then you see toro come in and play well uh and solve that second base problem that they've had and then everyone thinks Jared clinic or uh, is the second, you know, best thing since sliced bread type thing. And then my, my third opinion on the Mariners is that the uh, new reliever we got, cause he was phenomenal in the playoffs. The playoffs, which we haven't seen in 20 years <laughs> is this is <laughs> the second coming, coming of Fernando Rodney, right? What do you, what do you see out of that organization or what have you seen kind of through a different lens from an outside looking in that would. Have you believe that they're going to be part of that trio?
0: Well, honestly, I thought that they kind of derailed the A's season, or at least had a chance to in that four game series. The A's came in wanting to win three or four. They lost three or four. They didn't even get a split. And the Mariners at the time seemed like anything they touched turned to gold. So yeah. they seemed like they were like one of those teams that, you know, maybe it was a year early, but was just had some sort of mojo about them. And then they had that amazing win against the Astros and then made the trade that pissed off their entire clubhouse. So that was interesting. We'll see like it seemed like you're right. I mean, I think Toro is a guy that like baseball prospect aficionados have been into for a long time, and he was just blocked by all that talent in the Astros organization, and he's been pretty good. I mean, someone picked him up in my fancy league like, you know, three days after he became a Seattle Mariner and just blasting balls all over the place. So, I think also one thing that I noticed other than the fact that they really played the ace tough most recently was looking at prospect lists before the season started, like Keith Laws, our guy at the athletic. And I looked at his top hundred list and I was like, damn, there's a lot of Mariners on here, you know? And so what I see from this squad is a lot of what I kind of felt with the Padres a few years ago, where it's like, you see them coming, Right. Yeah, Atlantic hasn't really been that good yet. He has his own clothing line, which is pretty amazing, but whatever, <laughs> it 100, wasn't a word, 100. But, you know, he's going to be good. Generally, guys with that much talent that are that ballyhooed prospects and minors usually figure it out at some point. Not always, but usually the Mariners obviously like him. They brought him up twice. But that's what I'm seeing. As I, It just seems like they're the American League's version of the Padres where, you know, the, a, the A's and the Astros are sort of like the Giants and the Dodgers and the NLS. They're going to have to deal with them for a long time. I don't know if they're going to go out and sign a bunch of guys to three hundred million dollar contracts like the Padres did, but mm-hmm. the, the talent, and the uh, organization is undeniable.
2: Yeah, I, I I agree with you. In in <laughs> I, I hate to do it right because I'm such the pessimist these days when it comes. We're talking about hanging banners potentially for wild card games. Like that's where we <laughs> got to as Seattle Mariners fans, but. I love to hear that. I know uh, our Mariners fans will hopefully agree with you. It's it's all about timing and we got the talent now, so we'll, well see what next year brings. At
0: the end of the season, I mean, the, the A's, I mean, I don't know what the Mariners full end of the season schedule is, but the A's finished with three against Houston, three against the Mariners and three against Houston again. So, I mean, I don't know what the Mariners situation is going to be at that point, if they're still going to be battling for the wild card or even surge and maybe make some noise from the division, but I'm hoping to go to those games in Seattle because that's gonna be pretty interesting.
2: Yeah, we 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 talk about those as like our playoffs. Like we have if we win the next three straight games, right? We we will potentially make the playoffs if this other team loses three straight. Like that's how we get up. But yep. I think back to what you're saying about the A's and to the chagrin of me, the new closer, we lost two walk offs same night, same kid against the Rangers, which I think will impact us at the end of the season, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, Jonah Heim both times.
2: That was oh, crazy. Oh, man. Absolutely crazy. And the announcer even jinxed him. They're like, he'll you know, never hit a walk-off. And then, oh, he reversed jinxed him. Never hit a walk-off in his life. Next pitch, guy hits a walk-off. Oh. The announcers are good All right, let's that. get – yes. Let's get into the A's, the the organization that you're all too familiar with, uh, as well as the clean, nice green hat K1 is sporting today. Kelly. So let's – Let's talk about the bad first, the suspension, the most recent suspension uh, to Lariano, Ramon uh, Lariano for 80 games, testing positive for performance enhancing drug. Now, you're going to have to become a pharmacist a bit for our listeners and tell us what nandrolone actually is first and then who's going to fill in for in right field form. him.
0: Loan actually a pretty old steroid as far as these drugs go that we've heard guys testing positive for. Actually, Starling Marte in 2017 was suspended for 80 games for using the same drug. So when he was with the Pirates, so he's, you know, he's a guy who, and I didn't even actually remember that until I asked him about Loriano, the night that after the game, he had a walk off the home run the the night after Ramon was, Uh, pop for 80 games right so we found out in the afternoon we went to the park the Marte hits the three-run blast and I asked about Laureano and and he said yeah well I I know all about it because I went through it myself and I was like oh yeah that's right and it was nandrolone so it's a steroid it's uh it's one that can actually occur in the human body in low levels depending on what your diet is but so they have like a a sort of a uh, threshold for if you like over two milligrams per whatever then you're then you're going to be you're found so. positive so yeah that's what happened to ramon it was a situation where it really kind of it, it was, it was it kind of made you think about two things one how long did the a's know that this is going on because team because players are allowed to appeal and still play while their appeal is being filed and, and gone over by MLB, right? So mm-hmm. none of these appeals ever work, but players usually will file one just in case there's, like, a false positive or whatever. And so the A's being as aggressive as they were at the deadline, you have to wonder, okay, maybe they had an inkling that Ramon Laureano was going to be away from the team for a long time. So That's why they're, like, not only getting Marte, which made sense, but also getting Josh Harrison and Jan Gomes to – That was the trade that was actually kind of surprising to me. Well, the Marte one was as well until I found out that the Marlins paid all of his salary. And I was like, okay, that's pretty (laughs) A's. So, but I was surprised when they got, you know, two professional hitters in Harrison and Gomes because I was like, Oh, I thought they were done. So I'm thinking there might've been some knowledge beforehand that they're going to have to patch some holes in different places. So the plan before was right when Marte got there, Loriano said you can have center field. So maybe he knew also what was going on too. He's like, I'm not going to stand in your way. You're a center fielder. I'm going to be playing another four days. Well, you know, but he, but he like Marte play center and he was going to play right. Okay, so then you're actually looking at a pretty deep team because then Josh Harrison can bounce all around. You know, he can you know fill in for one of the outfielders in need be, but he could also give Jed Lowry a breather at second. He get Chapman a breather at third. And Chapman really pretty much has no backup third baseman going into that trade because Chad Pender's been hurt. So that was what I thought was going to happen. Suddenly, Josh Harrison's an everyday player for the most part. So he's still going to be filling in for Lowry sometimes when Lowry will move to DH. But, yeah, now you're looking at Canna now move. Mark Canna moves to right field. Left field's going to be a mix of, you know, sometimes Josh Harrison, sometimes Tony Kemp, and sometimes you'll have Harrison playing second. Sometimes you have Seth Brown in right field and Mark Cannon left. So, yeah, Seth Brown got brought up when Loreano got uh, suspended. So it it's, makes the team not quite as deep as they were. But then all of a sudden you look at the way that they started hitting over the weekend, you're like, all right, well, maybe they're going to be okay anyway. Granted, it was against the Rangers.
2: Okay. Question. Uh, One-game playoff. There's, you, you said they're deep, Right and I'm not going to tell you against who because I'm not going to give you that, and then you're going to ask me if it's a right-handed or left-handed pitcher, but you just said a lot of a lot of depth. So of the uh, – you probably said five, four, six names across maybe three positions. Who's who's going to get the most run or who are you putting in in, your, in the starting lineup in that one-game playoff? Those players I would say players.
0: if it is a right-handed pitcher, I think the outfield is definitely going to probably be – the right-handed pitcher. You're probably gonna have. You might have Mitch Moreland at DH. You might have Jed Lowry at DH. But the guys who are definitely gonna be in the lineup are obviously the Mats, Olsen and Chapman. You're gonna have Elvis Andrews at short. Sean Murphy's definitely gonna catch. If a left-handed pitcher's on the mound, you're probably gonna have Yon Gomes as the DH, and Harrison in the left field. I mean, Lowry's gonna play. Harrison's gonna play. Marte's gonna play, and Can is gonna play. So I think I pretty much named you know nine nine or ten guys. The only ones that might get swapped are uh, Moreland, if he's hitting all right, or Gomes. I would imagine, though, that they'd want Gomes in the lineup over Moreland just because he's been a better hitter all season.
2: All right, Steve. um, That's all I had. It feels like the A's have proverbially changed from catching players at the beginning of their career and taking them through the rookie contracts to, like, catching pretty good players on the back end of their contracts that are friendly. Um, it's gonna be interesting to see how Melvin uses those different pizzas throughout the way.
0: Definitely, yeah. It's, I think that he's he's got a lot more to work with. I mean, the, the team, I mean, I was getting joke, jokes told to me by my friends who are Ace fans, because I took over the beat from Alex Coffee. She left the company uh, in mid-Ju- mid-June. And my first game officially on the beat was against the Yankees, and they won. And that was the seventh straight win. So after that, they lost two against the Yankees. They split a series against the Rangers. They lost two or three against the Giants. They and they kept losing and losing. And so they were, I think, six and twelve in their first 18 games after I took over the beat, like eleven and nineteen at one point, just like it was, it was pretty brutal, and the game started looking the same. Uh, the pitching has been good all year. The starting pitching has been extremely durable. No, There's no, like, bona fide ace. There's no DeGrom or Scherzer on the team. Bassett's their best pitcher. But everyone's solid, and they all give you six or seven innings generally. The bullpen has actually been better and better as the season's gone on. But the offense was just trash for several weeks. It was, And it was tough to watch, man. It was like – if they didn't hit home runs, then they had really nothing going. And then even then, a lot of the home runs were solo shots. Matt Olson was hitting. Jed Lowry is hitting. Cannon got hurt. And then they really struggled. So every it was good, I was running out of ways to write about four, three losses where they left, you know, 12 guys on base, went one for 11 with runners in scoring position. And, you know, the fans are going crazy and saying, you know, fire Darren Bush, the team's hitting coach. And then now with this influx that they got right now, I mean, Marte has been the best player in baseball over the last nine games since he's joined the A's. He has seven steals in nine games. He's hitting like, I think like 435 with the A's so far, but he was like, in August, I think he's hitting like 560 or something like that, something crazy. So he's been incredible. Harrison's given them a lot of energy. Gomes had a couple home runs already. So now all of a sudden, like the offense looks potent and they look like they might be able to go in one of those second half runs they always seem to. But yeah, a, a, man, a week just a week and a half ago, I was like, I was actually even wondering after the Mariners series if they were going to be buyers like we thought. Like, yeah. are they going to look at this and go, "Eh, you know, we're not going to spend any extra money." And they ended up making trades where so they didn't have to spend money because they sent pros- good enough prospects over that the other teams paid the guys salaries.
1: You'd mentioned the A's offense, so their struggle all year has been getting on base. And they were ranked, I think, this past weekend like ninth in the AL, 19th overall. And they acquired Sterling Marte. But they gave up Jesus Lizardo, who many thought was going to be their future ace and a potential Cy Young winner. What went wrong, in your opinion, um, with Jesus Lazardo while he was with the ace?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. So Jesus was a guy who, when he came up in 2019, was lights out. You know, he's 21 years old, came up in September was a reliever at the time and a damn good one. I mean, he was pretty much unhittable. I mean, it, it, he was throwing 98, his slider was ridiculous. He tossed in a curve every once in a while. He also, he was the only guy really, he was the only highlight of the elimination game loss against the Rays that year. I and mean, Manaya went out there, gave him a home run in the first inning and all the Ace fans at the Coliseum knew that the game was over immediately. But Lizardo was, like, the one, like, sort of silver lining of that game because he came in and threw three shutout innings. And it's like, all right, this dude's going to be, like, a future ace for sure next year when they stretch him out to start because that's what they knew that he was going to be doing. And then 2020 rolls around, and he ended up getting COVID at one point uh, early on. I don't know if that affected him at all, but he just wasn't really that sharp all season. I I noticed that he was giving up home runs at a much higher rate than I would expect, something like 1.5 home runs every nine innings. And I was surprised a little bit that they started him first game of the elimination of the wild card series against the White Sox. I thought they would start Bassett. Bassett had been by far their best pitcher all season. I, I advocated for them to start Bassett. They started Lizardo. Lizardo goes out there, gives up two home runs to the White Sox. They lose. They have to win two in a row to get out of that series. Then they threw him out there again against the Astros and the ALDS. Two more home runs. And that's really been the story with him. I think that it, it really with with, with Lazardo this year it just was even worse. So he he couldn't get very far into games. He would cruise for a little bit, you know, have a big inning, either multiple home runs or situation where he would throw a couple wild pitches and walk a couple guys, and all of a sudden you know he's done after about four innings. And so he also then decided to well he didn't know if, I guess it was an accident supposedly. Where he punched a, where he his hand hit a table when he was playing video games. He says, um, "Interesting, it was right after a terrible start where he was super pissed off in the Zoom call afterwards." So, I was at, when I heard he broke his hand, I was like, "Oh, he punched a wall." Yeah. Apparently yep. not, but anyways, he healed from that really quickly. But then when he came back, he wasn't really. They put him in the bullpen because the A's actually, you know, had Caprillion in there who was pitching better than he was. Cole Irvin had been pitching well all year, so they're all right, be a reliever. We need a lefty reliever. He had two good outings, and then five outings of the worst relief pitching I've ever seen in the major leagues, where he gave up a home run in each of the five, which was a new A's record, and I think he gave up some, like, 11 home runs over five games. Maybe it was, like, six. I don't know. It, was, it seemed like 11. So then he, he got sent down to the minors, where he still got, kept getting clobbered. Now, Las Vegas is really tough to pitch in the... That league, that A league that used to be the Pacific Coast League has been yeah. murder on pitches, pitchers all season. And then he started pitching a little bit better uh, for a couple starts, and then they traded him. So my thought on that is they realized that he was never going to quite be that stud everyone thought he was going to be. And the reasons why, I don't know. Yeah, I, His fastball is fast, but there's not a lot of movement. The plane on it isn't that good. I think that arm angle and even grip probably could be helped. His pitch mix leaves something to be desired. He got really predictable. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, at 98 miles an hour from a lefty is a scout's dream, but when it's right over the middle in, in a count where a hitter's expecting it, they can hit it a long way. So, that's really what ended up happening to him. It didn't stop happening. And the A's finally were like, yeah, this is for a rental, but, you know, I think this is probably the best we can get at this point. His value wasn't going up over the season, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, you talked about some of the acquisitions, the trades, but they brought back a fan favorite, an Oakland favorite, Chris Crush Davis signed to a minor league deal. Yes. What's the probability that we'll see him at the starting lineup at some point this year?
0: Very low. I would say if, oh, if Chris Davis, no. uh, yeah, if, well, he's still, he's in the Arizona, like on the minor league instructional camp. He's not even like with a, one of their affiliates right now. if, if if he ends up starting a game this year, something went horribly wrong. It means that, you know, like Moreland got hurt, Gomes got hurt, you know, Canna got hurt. I mean, pretty much he's a he's a DH who over the last few years has only really been able to hit breaking balls. He can't hit velocity anymore. So you know, and he used so hit great
1: in Texas Stadium. Did he hit like 400 or something like that?
0: Yeah. He, well, he used to, and then the Rangers traded for him and he was so bad that they DFA'd him like a month and a half into the season and no one picked him up for weeks and weeks and weeks until the A's finally give him a shot. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see him, you know, go into minor, into spring training next year and, and play with the guys. I mean, team loves him. They, they definitely wanted, they did everything they could to help him succeed and to give him every opportunity. I mean, Anyone else would have been benched or DFA by the A's, you know, probably about two months into the 2020 season. He couldn't hit at all, you know. And then he actually kind of excited them by, you know, hitting kind of well in the playoffs. All of a sudden the playoffs started and he started hitting again. And he had, I think, one or two home runs. He had like 300 in the playoffs, something like that. But I think all that really did was raise his value up enough so the A's could trade him to Texas and get back a shortstop because they knew they were going to re-sign Simeon.
2: Mm-hmm. I need. Mean, I, they need. I think Melvin needs to think, figure out that threshold with an loan and just have him be a September call-up, and just know that any given day he could have four games in him, and that's it. Like just play, you know, <laughs> play the wild card there. You, you,
0: you joke, but uh, I'm sure that that type of stuff is cycling <laughs> and, man, I mean, in all ahead, types of sports. I trust yeah. me. Like also, I mean, I I know for a fact that like you know in certain sports they they'll stop testing altogether in the postseason. Mm-hmm. You know, for all types of different drugs, like the famous story that uh, Stephen Jackson, former Warrior, likes to tell, was r- right. Like as the right as the season ended, Don Nelson's like gone the team bus or somewhere in the locker room. He's like high five and Baron and st- and Stack and going, no more testing for weeks, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and like he was like, you know, yeah, guys, we did it. You know, we <laughs> I made it. Know Nell- I don't even know if Nelly was smoking back then. I think he was more drinking, but. uh, He knew that his players, you know, could get in trouble, maybe Uh, not that many people ever did in the NBA, but still like back in the NBA did test for cannabis. That was something that a great story. I've heard Steven Jackson tell that story like three times. It's funny every time.
2: Yeah, he he just went from uh, tool dad to cool dad, like in in a matter of minutes. Right. Go ahead. (laughs) Uh, All right. Let's transition to uh, probably the cornerstones of the franchise as it stands today. Uh, a guy that reminds us of a fellow colleague here at No Filter, a left-handed swinging right-handed first baseman, and the stats are somewhat similar. I think Will Clark's had a little more success early on the season, but Matt Olson, uh out of Atlanta, burned Vanderbilt to come to the A's. He's rounded into form, he's an all-star this year, In terms of war, he's tracking to have the best season he's had of his career. Uh, Talk a little bit about Matt, just what he brings to the team, and, you know, we'll get into the other Matt who's, you know, over in the hot corner across the diamond from him. Matt
0: olson has been the team, the best player on the team all season, and it's not really been close. And the reason why after he he was – he was struggling in 2020 He hit under 200, which drove him crazy. That continued in the postseason, And it looked like he was really just trying to yank everything. And this year, the way that he's hitting the ball to all fields is sometimes he reminds me of Tony Gwynn, like a really like, you know, tall, obviously, obviously thinner Tony Gwynn, but he'll serve it over the shortstop's head or, or I guess it'd be the third baseman's head with the shifts that he faces. (laughs) You'll, you'll poke it down the right field lines, the left field line sometimes. And but then every once in a while, you know, not every once in a while, pretty often, you know, he'll someone deep into the right field seats, too. So, yeah, like it seemed like the regression, everyone kind of expected it to come. Like he's been around 300 all year, you know, and he's been the 280s for quite some time. But, you know, yesterday or two or two days ago, Marte went four or five yesterday. Matt Olson on Saturday uh, had four hits, too and he's just rifling the ball all over the place you know one of them was a double down the left field line they took he just is going with every pitch perfectly he he has like a new training regimen now where he uses this little it's like a it's like a pitching machine that shoots these little red balls at you like red plastic balls and and I guess like from a really close distance and he saw Tommy La doing it last year when La joined the team and La swore by it and no one strikes out less often than La and Olson was striking out a ton back then. So he started using that and he's actually credited that as well as some, you know, adjustments of the plate. He chokes up more now. He didn't really, he's mm-hmm. kind of gone both ways. Sometimes hand on the knob of the bat, sometimes choking up about an inch and a half or so. And He's been choking up pretty much all season, which I think gives him a little bit better back control. Awesome first baseman. Uh, one of those guys that saves a lot of runs that no one thinks about because he's so good at picking it, a lot like Brandon Belt that way, where you just don't have to think about it. Chapman can unleash these 95 mile an hour throws and if they're not quite perfect, you know Olsen can either jump up in a 6.5 frame, catch it or scoop it just fine. So yeah, he's just a steady guy in the clubhouse. He's he's a guy that's been very durable except for a handmade bone injury a couple of years ago. And the team really seems to like him. He's a guy who I'm sure the Yankees would probably are are salivating and uh, looking to, you know, trade for or sign one of these years. But right now, he's definitely been the best player on the A's all season. you know, I mean, Starling Marte, by the end of the year, we might be talking about him. But Matt Olsen's been incredible all year. Chapman has struggled a little bit. That's
2: your cue, Kay, when to bring up matt chapman struggles unless you wearing the a's hat can't talk about any struggles on the team i'll take it so yeah corner infielder across the diamond mr chapman struggled a little bit uh what is it in your opinion after observing at least the first two thirds of the season as we get into october what can you do to turn it around and what's you know ultimately landed him in that eighth spot
0: yeah he's he hasn't really been hitting all year he He was kind of off last season, too, in the field, too, and uh, then we found out that he had a hip injury that required season-ending surgery, and that's pretty serious, and so, and he said that he talked to guys like Buster Posey and others who'd gone through the same procedure who told him that for the first year after the procedure, they felt like they weren't even in their own body, like their body felt so different than it was before, so he definitely, like, he got in some bad habits last season compensating for the hip, And then he still had to get in when, when he came back this season, he had to figure out how to trust it again. Cause I think after major surgeries, that's a big part of it, right? guys like, you know, am I okay? You know, you're kind of afraid to re-injure it by doing strenuous movements. So at the beginning of the season, he was definitely swinging all arms, which isn't going to work at any level. Uh, He got into a groove where he had like a 20 plus game on base streak going, but he's just never quite been able to, figure it out this season for whatever reason. I, I do think that probably a thing where if he would have taken this year off, like Posey took last year off and then comes back, we're probably going to see a pretty awesome offensive player next year again. He's never going to be a guy who hits 300, but guy who hits 250 with 40-plus home runs, I think he's capable of doing that. Uh, the other thing, too, though, is I was listening to uh, another radio show, and Mark Grant, the Padres uh, broadcaster, color analyst, he said that, Chapman, the word around the league is that Chapman can't hit high velocity. So Uh you're seeing that a lot with teams going at at him with high fastballs. So he's also got an issue with, I mean, he's he's got a definite strikeout issue. At one point he was leading the league. I don't think he still is, but he's up there. And a lot of called third strikes uh, before the trades happened, the A's just in general were taking a lot of called third strikes. And one game it was like six or seven. and. Asked Melvin about it. I could tell Melvin was pretty upset about it. Not me asking about it, but that occurring. And the and Chapman's been right up there. So thumbs up. I don't know if it's confidence. I don't know if he's still a little bit iffy on the hip. But I would imagine that he'll have a bounce back here next year. But if the plan was to build up his trade value this year and deal him, if the A's decided to completely revamp everything and rebuild, which is a possibility after this season, then because they're definitely going all in this year. I don't think that's – this is the year, that the off season where you're going to trade Chapman because the values for him is at its lowest.
1: Yeah,
2: definitely. Oh, so, yeah, surgically repaired hip, that's tough to come back from, obviously. And then um, maybe he needs a little bit of the little red ball uh, drill with uh, Matt Olsen. Maybe. I
0: don't know. That's actually a good question. I should ask Olsen if other guys in the team are, are using it. Yeah. I would imagine that some of have at least tried it to see – yeah. what you know like Ramon Laureano before he got suspended he's a total animal like he's you know 24-7 baseball constantly training and I I wouldn't be surprised if he tried it out too but yeah could be something that Chapman would, would help him because his you know Olson went from hitting 194 or whatever last year with tons of strikeouts to this year being one of the best all-around hitters in the league so worth a shot.
2: Yeah. Well, Steve, we're going to transition now uh, to Kay Wynn's going to lead us into this segment, talking about the new stadium. And then we'll do the West Coast Swing and we'll get you out of here in time for uh, gym session, dinner, whatever you need to do for the rest of the day. so. (laughs) So the Howard
1: Terminal Project, what can you tell us about the latest and greatest with the A's pursuit for a new stadium in the Jack London Square area?
0: Well, it's, it's been a little quiet lately, right? On the 20th of July, the Oakland City Council held a vote on a term sheet, but it's a non-binding vote. It did pass six to one with one abstention, but the A's, they submitted their own term sheet to the city saying, this is what we're going to do. This is how much we want to pay. This is how the money is going to be generated. These are the tax districts that we want the money to come from to pay us back for the infrastructure, yada, yada, yada. It goes on and on. This is a very complicated subject, so I'll try not to go too deep in the weeds here. But the city council took that term sheet and added a bunch of different amendments. They changed things that have two different tax districts, uh, one where the stadium is and one where Jacqueline and Square is, where the supposed increase in tax revenue, that would go towards paying back the A's for the infrastructure improvements that got to be made around the stadium. There's a lot of stuff that has to be done. I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that specific area. Howard Terminal. It's pretty close to Jack London Square. Easy walk. But there's a train tracks to go right through there, and it's a busy train area. You know, you got freight trains, you got Amtrak. It's you know, there's a lot of commerce that goes in that area in the port and on the trains. So something's going to have to be done, either a bridge over or a tunnel underneath, so that fans can get in and out safely. I mean, at this point now, fans you know just walk over the tracks which sometimes it's not that safe sometimes they even say they climb under the trains if the train stopped on the tracks. so <laughs> you don't want that with you know 30,000 people going to a game right so this vote passed but the amendments that the city council added in which in my mind actually weren't too egregious at all but they are like this isn't what we agreed to so I don't know why we're even having this vote we want you to vote on our term sheet so then they went to Vegas the next day and did their thing talking to people in Vegas about, you know, what options they have there, you know, highly publicized. Because they've been trying to, like, put pressure on the city council uh, by these public trips to Vegas. And Dave Cavill, the team president, tweeting out pictures of a Golden Knights game or a video from a Golden Knights game that pretty much pissed off every single A's fan in the entire and, – and not just A's fans, just everybody who's just like, dude, that's – you suck. Why are you doing this? So he went it's from like, way the better guy than that the all take. A's fans – yeah, I mean, what, he went <laughs> from a guy all the A's fans thought was great and had all kinds of clever ideas and, you know, rooting in Oakland and all that kind of stuff to all of a sudden, all right, you you're a total two-face and we can't trust you. You're just going to move the team to Vegas like the Raiders got moved to Vegas and all that kind of stuff. So, I don't know. I, I In terms of if it's going to happen, I mean, it's got to be under 50%, you'd think, just because there's so much that has to go into it. But... I don't know, lately I've been a little bit more optimistic. Uh, I would say it's about a coin flip at this point. Oakland right. wants to get it done. They don't wanna lose the third team. They also know that even though it's not a perfect deal for the city where, you know, and John Fisher, the owner is gonna get a lot of great real estate at a pretty cheap price and make a ton of money off of this. It would definitely help the Jack London Square area, which is an area that has a lot of potential, but hasn't been quite successful as you'd hope, right? So. And you've seen also how these parks, like Oracle Park in San Francisco, Petco down in San Diego by the gas lamp, that these areas start kind of growing and changing and shifting. You know, there's obviously questions about, you know, gentrification. How is the port going to be handling this in in the industries that are fighting really hard to keep this thing out of West Oakland? But I think the city council, except for one guy who, Gallo or Gallo, who his his points were nonsensical. I thought. I thought. I'm not like pro A's or pro city. Like I'm. I'm neutral down the middle. But you know what he was saying just seemed kind of ridiculous. Everyone else seemed like they were like, all right, we're gonna bite our tongue, but we're gonna vote for this. We want to keep conversations going. So I think there's gonna be negotiating still back and forth. And I do think the city wants this to happen. I don't know at this point how much that the A's want this to happen unless it's on completely on their terms. They pay for almost nothing except for the stadium itself and make money hand over fist with a big real estate venture with all the condos and stores and concert halls and all the other stuff that they supposedly need around a new stadium.
1: So we're going to say that we're going to make it happen. It's going to happen. The stadium. We are. We're, we're going to happen. It's going to happen. Can you see my screen here? I I can. All right. So this is the new stadium. And so what we're going to do on WST podcast, we're going to each come up with a name. What we're going to name the park. I'll go first because I thought about this as I put the question together. Absolutely. I'm going Kaiser Permanente Park. Kaiser is headquartered in Oakland. We want to stay rooted in Oakland. We want to stay
0: faithful to the community. Kaiser Permanente Park. That's my vote. Well, I think that's that's actually a pretty likely candidate. Kaiser <laughs> Permanente is already sponsoring the A's, so that that's definitely one I, I could see happening. I would much rather it be Ricky Henderson Field, but, you know, that's mm-hmm. never going to happen because, <laughs> you, you know, Ricky Henderson Yards or Ricky's by the Bay. I mean, who knows? Like, I, I'd, I'd want something like that, but, you know, they're not going to do that. It's going to be a, a corporate one. When they were going to – when they were trying to do a San Jose, they did uh, – it was Cisco was going to be the yeah. box name. So that's definitely, I think maybe one of those would be an option. Clorox is another Oakland company. It'd be kind of weird though, right? Like, you know, Clorox yeah. stadium, but.
2: It'd be appropriate <laughs> with the current stadium, but I don't know if it translates to the. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: It, it may, or, or you should say maybe it should translate to the old stadium more than it does currently. Yeah. Um Yeah. You see some things in the stairwells that are interesting. Uh, yeah, there was like cat food and uh, cat feces in the stairwell uh, <laughs> like, a few weeks ago when I was going up to the press box and like, oh, this is just interesting. Someone's feeding a cat and the cat's just you know doing its thing here. So yeah, I don't know. I I would say Kaiser Monday seems like a, a pretty solid one. Um, I would de- if I had to choose though, I'm definitely going with something about Ricky.
2: All right, Ben, what do you think? Oh, I'd love to say the A's. Like if I'm knowing that there's ATT park right across the bay and I'm Verizon or it's someone.: now. Yeah,
1: it's changed.
2: Oh, they changed it to, okay. It who changes does, like who every is, couple of years. Yeah. Who hates Larry Ellison more than anyone? Everyone. That's, yeah, that's probably everyone, but you know, someone like uh, Bezos or Bill Gates, or maybe Elon Musk or maybe the founders of Twitter really don't like So I'm going to go, Kyle, I'm going to say this live, gave me this idea. But I'm going to go Twitter, Twitter, 40 Field. Because I think of the Bay Area, I think of E-40, I think <laughs> So I'm going to go Twitter, Twitter, 40 Field. You're going to have the tweet deck. E-40 is going to be, he's going to write tracks for all the walk-up songs for all the players.
0: E-40 is a and Giants he- fan. This won't work. So I was going to uh, say that. Yeah, He's a well-known – he used to sit behind the plate during the World Series.
2: Well, when, when we give him – when we name the field after him, he'll – Too short, I think, is where
0: you want to go. He Too short, when he and E40 did okay. their verses recently, yeah. he put on a smooth A's satin starter jacket that, like, okay. everyone who's was watching is was like, why aren't the A's selling these?
2: We can run with that. We got the Twitter short porch. <laughs> yeah. Twitter oh, short porch. We got the um, – Cocktails Lounge, which was a huge hit by Too Short. Yes, absolutely. Um, let's see. We can integrate that. So yeah, let's yeah, I, I like I Twitter, Twitter as the Tails. title sponsor. Twitter short field.
0: I like it. Um, I like it. it. Yeah. I, anything too short is is cool with me. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Sure, and you could have like when they had those days where they allowed to bring your dogs to the park, they had the short dog. <laughs> area where the dogs can hang out. I don't
2: know. Now, we, we might need to clean up. They're, they're talking about gentrifying everything around, right? You, too Short may have something to say, like, you know, keep one area so that, you know, there's still some mystery about what's going on in the alley or whatever you want to say. But um, Absolutely. I, I'll go with Twitter Shortfield. I like it.
1: All right, Steve, we're going to wrap up here about five minutes left. Um, If that's okay with you, we do a thing called the West Coast Swing. It's rapid fire questions, no right or wrong answers. It's just whatever you feel. So I'll start it out here. What is your favorite part about Ring Central Stadium, the A's current stadium?
0: (laughs) Oh, man. I would say the sound when... Because these concrete stadiums, the best part about them is that they hold sound in really well, and the sound reverberates off the sides. So when that place is sold out for a playoff game, same thing with Candlestick back in the day, same thing with Oracle Arena, where, yeah, that was all concrete, too, and real, and kind of sc- compact sort of built. It, it's loud. It's a different kind of loud than you're going to get at a new stadium, for sure, especially one... You know, the, you just show on the screen was kind of as open of a plan as it is. Sound has a way to escape. It's sort of a Levi Stadium thing, too, where it's never going to be as loud as Candlestate because of just the construction is those open corners. But th- I think, yeah, the sound the sound system is pretty good. So when uh, they play uh, Sergio Romo's walk-up, El Machon, that it, you know, and that's what, the, one of the things he said he was most excited about signing with the team was he's like, yeah, man, it bangs here, you know, in <laughs> the fan. They they dance and they get into it so yeah I would say the acoustics are my favorite I don't know if I'd want to go to a concert there but for sports it's actually pretty
2: badass. All right Steve I'm gonna add live a little bit you just mentioned walk up songs we ask all the time ourselves what would our walk What what is your walk up song?
0: Well gosh that's a that's a good question I would probably go Camp Lo Lucini this is it Ooh. the an old you know 90s rap song just one of those that you put on and you know this is it uh, and then and everyone's yeah. going to be happy hearing that beat and that song although josh harrison new guy in the a's he won't make him say uh from master p <laughs> that, that, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good one i gotta say yeah. like, that's actually a, a pretty solid walk-up song so but yeah i would say i would say this is it camp Lo lucini yeah
1: What's been most impressive about Cole Irvin's walk rate?
0: How low it is? I don't know. I mean, it's he, he's just a guy who uh, you, you look at his stuff, you know, you look at his stat cast page, you know, his spin rate, his velocity, his, you know, exit velocity. And none of it's really that impressive. But, man, he just carves through innings so quickly because he's always around the plate. And it's not just that he doesn't walk guys because he will occasionally, like, He'll walk like one or two guys a game, but usually when he misses, it's not a bad miss. You know, some guys, like, they miss, and it's like you know, the hitter has no thought of even swinging because the pitch is so far on the strike zone. Irvin is always around the strike zone, pumping, up, and always in the corners too. He's You rarely see him throw one that's way off the plate, and you rarely see him throw one that's over the middle of the plate. And so that's why I think he's one of those guys that kind of reminds me of Kirk Reeder back in the day for the Giants who you're like, how the hell – I mean, he throws harder than Kirk Reeder did, but you know, for this era, the guy throwing 90, 91, 92 is considered subpar, blow average, velocity in the majors, and it's working for him. And I think, yeah, I think the walk rate is, is why just that command is, is why he's had such a much better season than anyone thought coming out of spring training.
2: Okay, Steve, for this next question, we're going to make you the uh, commish for a day. I got two questions. Can I can I use spider tact? Yes or no. It's a yes or no question. There's no. No. Defensive shifts, yay or nay. Yay, because
0: I haven't heard uh, an option otherwise that I that makes sense to me. Last I'm, question. I'm, I'm, I'm to be. I'm willing to be kind of convinced one way or the other. I've, okay. I've had either way, like fighter attacks is obvious no, like I think the other substances should be okay. You know, like they do sunscreen and rosin and that kind of, I don't see really that much problem with that, especially if it helps guys to not hit as many batters, but fighter attacks seems a little bit ridiculous.
2: Okay. And this last one, I don't know the uh, rules and regulations. Well, how many questions determined- did you get? One more, one more, one more. That one was more. Three. <laughs> yeah three. Yeah, three strikes, you're out. The first two were decent. I painted the corners there. This one's coming right down the middle. All right, I don't know what the legality of this question may uh, be for the athletic, but let's just say Uh-oh. Um, this comes up on the ballot. Marijuana, make it legal or keep testing.
0: Oh, it's legal? I mean... If, especially like baseball, you're talking about baseball. Yeah, I I can't imagine that marijuana is a performance enhancing drug for <laughs> baseball players.
2: Maybe my a few buddy, basketball buddy, players I, I've heard of some that Twelve. My buddy who led the Pac-12 in home runs this senior year would argue otherwise. I'm gonna
0: go look up and see uh, <laughs> the Pac-12 leaders and see uh, which where you're going here. I don't I don't care. Like it's it's not a big deal. I mean, right. honestly, like if alcohol is legal marijuana should be legal across the country. And, and in most places it is. I mean, I think where we all live, it is. So yeah, yeah I yeah. mean, sports testing for that makes no sense at all. I don't think it's helping anyone. And also, I mean, a lot of the guys say that it helps in terms of at least, at least pain management. And would you yeah. rather have that or pumping them full of pills? So yeah, that's, that's a no brainer for me. Yeah.
1: All right. I'm going to bring up another video. So we're going to bring back the A's mascot race, but Big Ben is gonna be the person who is racing. And so if you're familiar with the race here, you have three Oakland A's greats and Big Ben, just like Eric Burns here has to chase them down. Keep in mind, Steve, that Big Ben is about 6'4", 200 plus. Steve,
2: now, if you six, have 6'6", six,
1: connect... six, six, 230. Six six two thirty. He just grew. You've got to pick three A's. Figure the Matt Olson. Who are the three A's that Ben's got to chase down in the mascot race here?
2: Which A's greats? Which A's greats? Please tell me, like Goose Gossage. Or, I would say um...
0: I, w- I would say Country Breakfast, Billy Butler.
2: <laughs> uh, okay.
0: Use Petite. All right. And. Bartolo Cologne. I think you're going to end up in front. I'd come in at least to to third three. in that
2: race. I'd come in at least third. <laughs>
0: I, you come oh, in at least second. Coming okay. at least second. Country, <laughs> country breakfast. Billy Butler. He wasn't really known oh, yeah, for speed okay. either. Billy, if you're Billy played for the Royals for a
2: little while. My yeah, my wife's it, a Royals fan. She she never knew why Billy wouldn't run faster than she could at its current time. So I got gotcha. you.
0: Yeah, I think it was pretty obvious just watching him. That, that was one of the worst free agent signings. That, that's the thing with the A's, is that they don't spend money where you want them to. And then when they do, it always blows up in their face. Eric Chavez was the only guy they signed from those great teams in the early 2000s, Then he was injured all the time, and all the other guys went on and played well. Then you have Country Breakfast comes in, just totally terrible, doesn't do anything, they gave him over $10 million a year. And then Chris Davis, after they signed him to the extension, couldn't hit anymore. So, yeah, it's not only do the A's not spend as much as they want, but when they do, they get burned. Oh, Trevor Rosenthal, too, before this season, $10 million, um, maybe eleven, and uh, never pitched an inning for the A's.
2: All right, Steve, we're hitting the top of the hour. Let's wrap this thing up, huh? K-win? Yeah, do you uh, want to tell
1: our, our fans where they can read your articles, where they can follow you online and see what's going on in the Bay Area there. sports world or with the
0: A's? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, if you just look up Steve Berman, The Athletic, you can find that pretty easily on Google. Uh, there's uh, theathletic.com, If in case people don't know. I'm sure you guys – most people have probably heard, but actually a lot of my family members are like, so what is The Athletic? What, what is it? So then I have to show them the app on my phone and stuff. So if you're a hardcore sports fan, you know, but if you're not, then you might not. But, yeah, I'm all, all my stuff's on The Athletic, BA Sports Guy on Twitter, uh, and, yeah, just uh, if you have any questions, uh, you can always post comments in the articles or ask me stuff on Twitter. I'm generally pretty responsive unless I'm, you know, out to lunch and don't see something.
2: So, Steve, two things. One, your your meme game's pretty good on Twitter. I'll give you a compliment there. Well, and wow, then, two you. two, you just picked me up as a follower on The Athletic based on this interview. So, well done. Thanks for your time. We have one last question. This is the same yeah. question we ask all our guests. Has to be in your phone. Has to be in your phone. Not pie in the sky because we've been offered Mike Trout before, and, <laughs> and I knew we knew for we're like there's no way this. And uh, we almost made him bring up his phone and prove the fact that he actually had Mike Trout in his phone. But we need you to help us source our next interview, so okay. this person can be at the Athletic. Can be a player. Generally, we like players that are no longer in the MLB because the interview is a little bit more. Uh, let's say. It's One. a little more honest. Um, so, Or
1: it can be like a sports personality, someone that you worked with in the past, a great personality, guy who loves it, sports, or gal who loves sports.
2: So someone in yeah, your phone that would love to come on WST podcast. And
0: I, I, There's a lot of people, and I'm trying to narrow it down here. W- we what, want
2: the good ones. What,
0: <laughs> what, what, what what sports or teams are you interested in hitting coming up here? Um
2: we so let's let's go let's go seasonal. Um, let's let's find someone maybe athletic spans everything. Like you have a cracking or cracking lead now. I we let's go with the football, go either college or NFL football. How about that?
0: I would say if you want football, uh, Matt Barrows is my guy at the athletic, he's been a Niners yeah. beat writer for ever. Um, I actually you know, gave him uh, gave his email to someone else who wanted to do a pod with him, So he might get a little annoyed if I'm like just <laughs> shuttling into all these different podcasts, but he's a really nice guy. He's, he's good on the air. He's been covering the team for well over a decade now, maybe two decades now. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't, he, he might be busy with training camp right now, but I definitely have him on my phone. I'm not going
2: well, to post his number we'll, right we'll, now, but we'll yeah, take can, him and I'll, I'll just replay the video of, Sherman's tip over and over and over and over. <laughs> he won't mind. He's, no, that'd be he, great.
0: He grew up a Skins fan. So back okay. back when they were the Redskins. So yeah, his favorite player of all time is Joe Green. So he covers the Niners. But yeah, he went to the University of Virginia. He's he's not rooting for the 49ers at all. So if you said that, he'd be like, he'd probably just start laughing and maybe tell a
2: Crabtree story. Awesome. Well, hey, Steve, thanks for coming on. We Thank appreciate you. it. Berman. 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 Sorry. geez. All like good. Just, just two minute. Thanks for the time. Enjoy. Yeah, sorry we kept, uh, kept you over.
1: We had a little fun with the stadium and the races. So sorry we kept you a little over, but thanks for coming on.
0: Uh, all
2: good. good. The days are off today. So I had a
0: little time. So thanks, thanks for having me on, guys.
2: All right. Hey, cheers. Take Steve. care. Be good. Bye.